Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Myself, Hal T. Corey Stockton, here to break down the biggest news stories from the world of jiu-jitsu. And there hasn't been a whole ton of news happening in the grappling community this last week or so. But we've got a lot to talk about with regards to Thursday's Who's Next Finale. Tezos, Who's Next Finale, presented by Fat Tire. And we're going to talk about the kind of the main card. We're going to talk about the, the main event of Isaac Michel versus Carl Chambers. We're going to talk about Gordon Ryan versus Pedro Mourinho. We're going to talk about no time limit submission only matches. But before we get into it, before we get into it, Corey, how you doing, man? Looking forward to what is kind of an unusual midweek event, right? Thursday is uh, not typically the the day we have jujitsu events, but excited for it. I, I think it, uh, a huge opportunity for a lot of these young up and comers, and uh, I can be more excited. Don't forget, of course, that this is the first uh, who's number one event. We've got a couple kind of in uh, in, in quick succession. You know, we've got this who's number one, uh, the who's next finale coming up on Thursday, and then August seventh, we have course the uh the next who's number one event will be in the main event gordon ryan will be back to take on felipe penna as the the most anticipated well i don't know the most or second most anticipated super fight in the world of no gi grappling it's it's basically gordon and andre and gordon and felipe right so but you can depends on the day one or the other is the most anticipated yeah i think it all goes it all goes hand in hand right it, it's uh, two matches that, that Gordon has wanted for a long time. One is a, a rematch, and one is a match that has been built up and anticipated for, for years um, that we just have never yet seen and have been dying to see for what feels like seven years. Yeah, mouthwatering prospects, both of those matches. But uh, we've got all that to talk about. We've also got the uh, the special IBJJF Grand Prix, which is coming up on August 12th. We'll be talking about that today as well, giving you some details, plus revealing some of the names of the competitors who are slated to compete in that, and a little bit more. So let's get things underway with this video that gives you an idea of what to expect on Thursday at the Who's Next finale. Take it away. Final match, Kyle Chambers versus Isaac Michel, the Who's Next Championship. This is gonna be a high-paced match. Kyle's strengths would be rubber guard, leg lock attacks, and submission defense. Isaac's strengths would be wrestling, guard passing, finishing from the back, and leg lock. Fans can expect to see the match of the night. Kyle's a really good dude. I know this is a big deal, not just for him, but for his team, 10th Planet. This is one of the worst matchups in the show for Kyle Chambers. This format, when there's no time limit, there's no really games. It's like, are we gonna be here all day? Or are we just gonna get to that action? New level, new level, go, go, yeah. I'm on a new level, huh, yeah. I'm on a new level, yeah. I'm on a new level, yeah. New level, breaking full breakfast, go, watch me elevate. I'm on a new level, huh, watch me elevate. I'm on a new level, yeah. I'm on a new level. Just gonna throw down and do what I do best. The $10,000 in the three match contract. Two young men going out there for their chance to be a legend. Watch out, I'm on a new level. It's either him or me, and I want this way more than he does. Oh man, how good is that? Oh, that video just gets the juices going. That is just, man, I'm so excited now because this has been a long time coming. Of course, the whole season, uh, the first season of Who's Next, Submission Fighter Challenge, our reality grappling TV show. Uh, and it's just, you know, everything has led to this moment, right? Yeah, we've watched these guys come from, you know, uh, this kind of prospect area where we don't know all that much about these grapplers. Maybe we've seen them here or there, but now we know everything there is to know about them. We've, we've watched them ascend to this point, and uh, the, the chance, that the fact that we finally get to see them uh, collide at this this main event, this no time limit, no time uh, limit who's limit. number one match is, is really 
uh, it, it feels like this perfect stamp on the end of this. Really is, really is. So we'll we'll talk a little about Isaac versus Kyle in just a moment. But uh, before we do, uh, we're just going to hit you with some news. So if you read the Grappling Bulletin article this morning, which you should always do first thing on a Monday, you should basically open flow grappling. You should go straight to the Grappling Bulletin because that is that article contains all the big news stories from the weekend, all the essential results, everything you need to know about what's coming up. Well, that article would have told you that we have had to find a replacement because J-Rod's original opponent, Andy Varela, was basically unable to compete this weekend due to some personal stuff. But I think we found a very, very fitting replacement. Would you agree? Yeah, you can say that the replacement for Jay Rodriguez is almost his counterpart, right? Um, we're talking, of course, about Giancarlo Bodoni. Yeah. Uh, Jay Rodriguez won the West Coast Trials, but Bodoni did it first. Bodoni won the East Coast Trials back in April. Both of them 88-kilogram uh, trial champions slated for ADCC later this year. So I love this match. I love the fact that we have trials winner versus trials winner. Jay Rodriguez, J-Rod, Jacob Rodriguez on the left, representing B-Team Jiu-Jitsu, going up against New Wave's Giancarlo Bodoni. So... As you mentioned, Bodoni won the East Coast Trials in Atlantic City at the end of 2021. J-Rod emerged the winner in the hyper-competitive 88-kilogram division at the West Coast Trials, which many people, including ADCC promoter Mo Jassim, called the hardest trials event in ADCC history. It was a marathon event. He came out of the top, came out on top in in one of the most difficult divisions in just the the. A, a, performance of a lifetime that's the best way to describe it well there was very little chance of seeing bodoni versus j-rod at adcc because you have to think as trials winners those guys are going to be seeded on opposite sides of the bracket and they'll be going up against possibly invitees or even returning champions in their opening matches because of the way that the seeds work so there's you know, the, the, the only real way that we would have seen a match would probably would have been in the final but the chances of that happening two trials winners making the final it was a slim it was a slim chance right right but glad that we finally get to see you here i think there's there's a lot of questions uh left to be answered as far as how that match would have looked had it taken place as a final of an adcc trials uh j-rod of course submitted all seven of his opponents at the west coast trials um and largely with with his wrestling right like he, right. he his duck under and his his uh, double leg his shots got him to the back where he pursued the finish that's something that Bodoni also did very well. His, he wrestled well in all of his matches, especially in the final against Elder Cruz. Um, but just like J-Rod, Bodoni has that similar strategy, right? Wrestle, cut the corner, take the back, and see what happens there. I would say that if you look at them stylistically, a little different. Whereas, um, you could say that J-Rod is definitely the wrestler who has adapted his grappling game for submissions. Whereas Bodoni, he's a black belt, and he's competed at a high level, both gi and no gi. So you'd have to think that Bodoni is the, uh, probably the, the better rounded of the, 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 the more well-rounded of the two. He's able to fight from top and bottom. You think about J-Rod, you definitely think about that sort of using the wrestling to set up the path to the back and taking the submissions from there. So a real clash of styles in this match. I really like it. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that this is a historic moment for the two teams, right? Yeah, this is this will be the first time that uh, a new wave team member uh, will take on a B wave team member at who's number one. Uh, th- wow. There's been a couple times where they've crossed paths uh, in the past, uh, but this is the first who's number one match featuring a new wave and a B team representative. So there you have it. Because, yeah, we have seen new wave versus B team at other events, but here in austin texas that's that true crosstown rivalry in action we're going to get to see j-rod versus giancarlo bodoni in a 15 minute who's number one rule submission only nogi grappling match and be very exciting it's actually going to be the first match for the main card of who's number one so you'll get the first three free prelim matches and then we'll start the main card with that match and i've got a feeling it's going to set the tone for the rest of the night as well it should be a good one all right. So with that piece of news, it's time to 
let's get into the main event. Let's talk about Isaac Michelle versus Kyle Chambers. This is, of course, the uh, the finale of the Who's Next series. This is the the match. This is the kind of the uh, the end of the tournament because, of course, these guys they fought their way through the show, eliminating all of their opponents. And this is the match that will decide the overall winner. But we have another video to play just to get uh, just to put things in the mood here. Let's uh, let's roll this video, please, producer Nico. There's nothing personal, but when we shake hands, it's all business. It's like all the blood, sweat, and tears, all the training. You're just getting some of your hard work and seeing the results. Now, I started 3 0, I want to get that 4 0. He's the kind of guy that just always stays ready. He's always putting in work, and especially when he has something to look forward to, like this kind of match, like a big match, like that's going to get him pumped up even more. I feel that Kyle's one of the best like, lockers in the world, and I feel he has a really complex guard. There's not a lot of guys that have, you know, his body type with, you know, big legs. They're flexible like that. And I feel like his finishing power and his finishing mechanics are incredible. He's a finisher. When he gets a hold of something, he's one of the few guys that can really break it or really push one out. So I think a lot of people don't realize that his finishing power is different from a lot of others that consider themselves submission only. He's really a submission only guy because he loves to finish. From the red team, Kyle Chambers. You can just expect, I like to wear my heart on my sleeve, obviously. You know, I'm gonna put it all out there because I know that's what it takes to become a champion. From the blue team, Isaac Michelle. Oh man, I think it'll be an awesome match. He's got a, you know, good cardio, he could go forever, but I think I'll be able to take his back and finish him from that position. I like the confidence, you know, we see a lot of people on the show have that same kind of confidence, you know, we have Cool Rack had the same kind of confidence and a bunch of stuff before, you know. A lot of people sit there and get to my back and finish me, and you see a lot of people get there and they don't have that same ability. It's no threat to me because it's what I do, I feel comfortable in those positions, it's just another day. It's a perfect matchup for Kyle because he wants to take out people that have a good name, that have a lot of respect out there, and that have good accomplishments. And, you know, Isaac, he has all that. So he has a lot of good energy behind his name. So does Kyle. So I think this is going to be a great clash of the up-and-coming, high-level, talented grapplers of today. But just to feel the pressure is, is good. I love the pressure. I like driving in the pressure. I feel like, you know, diamonds are forged in pressure, you know, and that's how I feel like I am, you know. So I love feeling that pressure of the final. Like all or nothing is like gambling, you know, and I feel like that's what it's up. You know, I gotta show up and I always show up. So I'm just excited for the opportunity. I'm ready to capitalize. I say, I just wanna have a great battle, man. I just ready to know that you're one of the best in the world. I'm one of the best in the world. And let's just put on a show for the people, nothing less but the best. All right, so there you have it. Oh, man, this match is going to be something else. So you've got Isaac Michelle, the brown belt out of B team, the Australian now based here in Austin, Texas, and recently the winner of the uh, Australia, the, the Asia and Oceania trials. And uh, then you've got Kyle Chambers, the 10th Planet Black Belt, based out of Oceanside, California. Haven't seen as much of him this year because he broke his hand, but he's back on the competition scene. He's apparently very well prepared for this match. And to get a kind of a little bit of an inside look as to what that training and preparation has been like, we've got on the call none other than California correspondent Chase Smith. How's it going, Chase? What's up, boys? How are we living? We're going to call you California Chase from now on, like now you've migrated back to the West Coast. Yeah, you know, I've been called worse things. I could live with California Chase, but life is good out here on the West Coast. And as you said, uh, I had a chance to go film with Kyle and Gio over at 10th Planet Oceanside. Some of those clips you saw, you know, where we took place in that training session. And just a side note, if you if people are based out here in the West Coast want to try something cool, you got to drop into that gym, man. It's such a distinct vibe. Gio runs an amazing class, super high energy. I think it looks unlike any other gym I've ever been to. We've got graffiti everywhere, but you know, it's 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 really cool. So having a good time out here. Love it. So uh, I guess that one of the things that we want to know is uh, what was it like when you were in that room? Because this match, the no time limit aspect, is a bit of an interesting one, right? And I talk about it in the actual uh, in the article, and uh, we're going to talk about a little bit more about the specifics of what it's like to compete in a tone like in a no time limit match. But I just want to know first of all, you were there 
you saw Kyle training. We haven't seen much of Kyle this year. You know, he competed in the show. The show was filmed at the end of 2021. He broke his hand early 2022. We haven't seen much of him. How is he looking in the training room? Oh, the beast, dude. Um, the way he put it was he's doing all the extra credit. So we, we showed up at about five o'clock and he had just finished up strength and conditioning at a different place. He was going to hit the sauna and then go train jujitsu. He says he's doing everything. But uh, he was very adamant that, that no time limit is not unusual to him. He says that that's something that they, the mindset they train for at 10th Planet every single day. He says they have to change that for going into things like WNO to go into trials, to go into the IJJF tournaments they do. He says the 10th Planet system thrives on, on going for the finish and having great defensive skills. If you watch the full Geo interview, that's one thing that he points out. He says that, you know, if you're really a sub-only specialist, you got to have incredible defense. So to me, that indicates that Kyle's hoping to take this match into deep waters, go uh, explore what no time limit really means, just as he did on the show, right? A couple matches over 45 minutes, one over an hour. So I think that is very much possible this week. Wow, that's interesting. So you have to think that when it comes to uh, 10th Planet, those guys, they... Um, they definitely are sort of on the, the the spearhead, the vanguard of the sort of the sub only movement, right? And uh, of course, Isaac was very focused on winning ADCC and competing under a completely different rule format, a format that that emphasizes wrestling, a points based tournament. What do you think, Corey? Do you, do you think that the preparations have been very different here, or what? I mean, if if you watch, for example, the the Kyle Chambers versus Andrew Tackett match, right? You look at somebody in Andrew Tackett who's such a a cardio and pace master, and and Kyle maybe got the the worst end of the of the stick at a couple of moments there, but he stuck out every single attack, and he had the the perfectly timed, maybe uh, calm and patient defense, and was able to wiggle his way out. Um, <laughs> An hour and thirty two minutes into the match, <laughs> exactly. Whereas if you look at the the types of events that Isaac has been training for, it has been all. You can't really call an ADCC match that goes into overtime a sprint, right? It's a 12-minute match. It goes goes long enough. But it's a grind. It's, yeah. it's a sprint compared to an hour-and-a-half-long match. Yeah. Um, so you would have to imagine that Isaac wants to come in here and get it done early and that Kyle might want to weather the early storm from Isaac and, and see how far this thing can go. So you mentioned there about the sort of the length of the matches during the show chase. And I just kind of want to bring these uh, numbers out so people have an idea because... Kyle Chambers, uh, his quickest match on the, the Who's Next series, or, or the Who's Next show, I should say, was 9 minutes and 22 seconds long. Isaac's fastest match was 4 minutes and 10 seconds. But then the longest matches... So, of course, we mentioned there about how Kyle Chambers, he had a 31-minute match against Mike Rakshan, and he had a, an hour and 32-minute match against Andrew Tackett. Well, Isaac, man, his match against Chaston Gomez only went 10 minutes. But he had that grinder of a 42-minute match with Adam Bradley. So it's not that Isaac couldn't go into the deep waters, but it definitely seems like Mr. Chambers is the one who would maybe prefer to kind of take it into the sort of the later sort of stages of a sub-only match, right? Yeah, I think that's, that's an adequate way of putting it, right? Like, I think Kyle is looking to explore some mistakes that may occur after a certain amount of time, after 20 minutes, after 30 minutes, where Isaac may be hell-bent, all right, on getting that finish as quickly as possible. I mean, nobody wants to get tired, right? That's the, that's the, the danger in jiu-jitsu is getting exhausted and starting to uh, slip up have some openings so i think kyle is is training with looking for those in mind where isaac may want to run through this thing it's going to be interesting because kyle doesn't want to disengage right kyle, kyle is uh just that confident in his jujitsu and his uh ability to weather the storm where i think he's gonna put himself in danger to try and uh, expose an opening i mean the andrew Taka match is a great example where uh, how many times did he have his back taken? I think it was like five times. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Was, he spent a long a time defending from his back. Yeah. Now, and, that and video so you just saw there was a, just a, br a brief glimpse of Adam Bradley's epic, epic no time limit match uh, against Tristan uh, Overvig. And that, that match, now that went uh, a massive two hours and 53 minutes that was the longest match on the who's next show and it just gives you an idea of that that these no time limit matches this literally it could go as long as it takes because 
when it, when you go into a no time limit match, and the only way to win by submission, when you are faced with an extremely defensive, extremely cautious opponent, it's not as easy as you think to just go out there and rip on a sub, right? Uh, absolutely. And one thing I, I think is worth highlighting about, let's say, the the Adam versus Isaac match is that Adam, due, due to that long match, that two hour and 53 minute match, was... A, injured and playing a little bit more conservative than he might otherwise, right? Whereas Kyle, this, despite being um, defensively sound, is going, to take, is going to take risks that Adam might not have been able to, which gives Isaac maybe a little bit more of an edge there than he had in that, in that uh, Adam match, right? So I, I think that Isaac will be a bit more dangerous than that 45-minute match let on, but Kyle, we've seen his defense and we've seen that he can, he can endure that kind of match. Endurance quick, is I, definitely I, going to be a key. Go ahead, Chase. I don't want to derail us here, but one thing that came up when I was when I was hanging out with Gio and Kyle doing some filming the other day was I just had this light bulb moment where EBI was sort of the launch pad for Gio Martinez's career, right? He kind of came out of right. nowhere and blew up, basically was the next big thing. And it, you know, it was interesting to see that Kyle Chambers is here uh, in the final of our attempt to find the next big thing. So out of 10th Planet and out of the same... Uh, student teacher lineage right went to eddie to geo geo to kyle kyle's only trained under geo wow i mean of course he's made visits to hq and, and bounced around but geo is his instructor his main professor i think that's pretty cool i think that's a strange coincidence that it worked out that way it is it is that's very interesting actually um what was it like when you were in the room like did they have the clock running were they doing no no time limit rounds when you were there what, what you know what did you kind of see like actually in the training room they were, uh, I believe, eight-minute rounds, and Kyle was keeping up a high pace, a high work rate. He would play possum with guys that uh, he may have had a little bit of an advantage on, a little more experience on. But for those that were close to an even match, he was really trying to push the pace, played a lot of top. One thing that Gio pointed out in the interview was that Kyle, when he left from the show, uh, left, left the academy to go do WNX, he didn't have a, a big emphasis on passing. He wasn't much of a top player. He liked hiding the legs, was confident in his guard. And he said that Tim Spriggs uh, may have left a big impression about using the physical traits that he has. You know, Kyle's a big dude, super strong, and adding that to his game. Said he came back with some pressure passing ideas and has been working on those since then. So I thought that was pretty cool that over the course of two weeks, Kyle may have had a, a big uh, shift in his game, or at least the way he thinks about it. So I definitely saw him working on that in the gym. I saw him playing a lot of top, but make no mistake, his guard is nasty, right? He's got incredible triangles and is happy to sort of um, initiate scrambles from bottom. You know, Gordon Ryan talks about pressure from bottom, making your opponent uh, uncomfortable being in your guard, and Kyle's really good at doing that. So he's fun to watch. He's got a very open style, uh, really creative attacks, and he mixes it up. So I think we'll see more than plenty of that uh, on Thursday. Let's just bring out uh, some of the uh, the fan comments here in our live chat on the uh, the YouTube stream right now. And uh, we've got some interesting uh, predictions here. Jonathan Jones uh, is calling for a uh, rear naked choke for Isaac about 30 minutes into the match. He's not the only one. Uh, Ikusan also says Isaac versus rear naked choke. Uh, Felix the Tiger says that Chambers by heel hook or... Isaac by rear naked choke at about 45 minutes. And I think it was interesting. You actually heard sort of the, the, the two different camps even saying uh, which of the, the sort of the two finishing methods they preferred. Where you had um, you had Gio even saying that he felt that Chambers was a, a standout leg locker and that he could win by leg lock. Whereas, uh, you know, Isaac was saying that his goal was to get the back and to get the finish via the choke. Well, you can see it. On Thursday, the winner of the Who's Next Season 1 will be crowned. The winner, of course, gets $10,000 and a three-match contract with Who's Number 1 and gets an added bonus, right, of 10000 Tezcoin, courtesy of our sponsors, Tezos. Tezos, Who's Number 1, Who's Next Finale, presented by Fat Tire, goes down this Thursday, July 14th. Let's take a little look here at the uh, the full kind of uh, lineup as well. Uh, the Obviously, the one exception is that Andy Varela in bottom right has been replaced by um, Mr. Giancarlo Bodoni. Uh, we also have a, a couple of prelim matches on here as well. But the overall, uh, the overall event, of course, Kyle versus Isaac Michel. Gordon Ryan versus Pedro Mourinho in that main event. 
Andrew Tackett versus Rene Souza, Big Dan Manasoyo versus Tristan Overvig, Giancarlo Bodoni versus J-Rod, Sewer Rat Spencer Fossier versus Mike Rakshan, Bray Grout versus Luke Griffith, another ADCC trials winner, European trials winner, and Fabian Ramirez against Max Hansen. You can watch that here live on Thursday, July 14th from 7 p.m. Central Time, right here on Flow Grappling. You excited for that, Corey? Oh, I can't wait. It's maybe not the a list of names that you would generally expect on who's number one but these guys are proving have proven that they deserve to be here and it's a, a great chance to see the new generation emerge into who's number one great showcase for some of the up-and-coming talents it's going to be a lot of fun if you if these matches are anything like what we saw throughout the show thursday's going to be a great show and chase you will be joining us you're getting on a plane tomorrow and coming back right that's right. As long as the power grid stays up in Texas, I'll be there. I'm coming in tomorrow. I'm excited to see you guys. It's been too long since we had a WNO, and uh, I love the theme. My prediction, by the way, for a sleeper match of the night is going to be Braylor Grout versus Luke Griffith. I think that one is going to blow some minds. Oh, yeah. Looking forward to it. Well, Chase, we'll let you go pack your stuff. We'll see you here tomorrow. And uh, thanks for the uh, insight as to Kyle's preparation for this. I think we're all very interested to see exactly how things shake out on Thursday. That helps a lot. Anytime, fellas. See you later. All right. Well, that's uh, that's it for the Who's Next finale. As we mentioned, coming up on Thursday, we should move on now to the other big match that everybody's looking to. And this also goes down on Thursday nights. This is the 30-minute match for the heavyweight title, Gordon Ryan against Pedro Marino. So, Pedro Marino seems that he got under Gordon's skin for this match because uh gordon of course everybody knows who he is his position as one of the greatest nogi grapplers of all times is undeniable well pedro of course an up-and-comer in comparison who has been steadily climbing the ranks over the last couple of years has taken some big significant wins including double gold at the nogi world championships in 2021 and capturing the light heavyweight title, the who's number one light heavyweight title earlier this year. Well, just after that match, he made a very, uh, well, some might say a very respectful call out of Gordon Ryan. Let's listen to this clip because it didn't sit well with Gordon. I don't know how his, uh, his situation now, but the guy that I really, really want to fight is Gordon, you know. But if you know, you know, I want to fight. I, wanna, I don't want to be like just the best at 205. I want to be the best pound for pound in the world. You, know? you won that match. My rematch. My the rematch. rematch. In CC, and these next two, I'm going to get him. So, let's uh, set the stage here. Pedro mentioned something about a rematch. What does that mean, Corey? 2019 ADCC absolute, uh, the opening round, right? Pedro, at this point, just a purple belt or a brown belt. Um, maybe very early brown belt uh, had Gordon Ryan his first match and uh, I think they had previously exchanged some barbs on social media leading up to that leading up to that that bracket that division uh, Gordon made made kind of quick work of it right he uh, did what Gordon was doing back in 2019 got right on Pedro's heel and uh, the rest was history Gordon moved on won the absolute title yeah it's uh, maybe not sort of rocket science to see why uh pedro would be calling out or getting into an online war of words with gordon because pedro is a gracie baja competitor and he actually lived and trained personally firsthand with felipe pena in brazil he came and basically felipe pena sponsored pedro made enabled him to go pro because pedro was from a relatively small town in fact it's a really small town it's like a kind of a beach town and he's um you know just kind of working grinding just a, an up-and-coming blue belts with good potential but no real opportunities to go pro and uh Felipe Pena started this sponsorship program where he was uh, kind of you know offering um an opportunity to train full-time for for aspiring professionals and pedro took the opportunity and man he made the most of it you know and and from from that he then got the ticket to go to america has been based in houston texas for the last couple of years trained with Olpiano malakias and the extended gracie baja network there in houston texas and just gone from strength to strength so you have to think that pedro very close to felipe pena owes him a huge debt of gratitude for having you know enabling him to live the life that he does and it would make sense that he would defend his mentor his friend because of course there's no love lost between gordon and felipe but it's kind of a 
pretty long list of people that you know Gordon has gotten into an online spat with, right? It's nothing unusual there. It's most of the internet at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most people. They don't even need to be jujitsu people. Gordon has gone after them at one point or another. Well, as I mentioned, that call out, it didn't sit particularly well with Gordon. Let's listen to what Gordon had to say in response to that call out. Yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't actually see it. I just, I, was, I watched the match, but I just turned it off right after it was over. Um, so I didn't actually see him call me out, but then I saw it a few days later, and uh, I had kind of uh, mixed feelings about it. On one, on one hand, I respect him because you know he's one of the few guys who is truly willing to fight anybody, and he's, he wants to compete against the best guys, um, and right now the best guy happens to be me. Um, but on the other hand, I was like kind of, I felt not disrespected, but I was like, hmm, like, so he thinks he can like, mention my name in the same sentence and think he's going to be competitive. Um, so um, part of me respects him, and part of me is like, oof, that was a mistake because now I have to embarrass you. Could you could you describe a little bit uh, about Pedro's jujitsu? Uh, yeah, so Pedro, um, as a whole, basically has a very cagey, stally anti-jujitsu game where he's very good at not getting scored on. Um, he can score and then stall. He's very explosive. He's very physical. Um, he's a short, stocky guy um, who moves, has a great quality of movement. He can move up and down, side to side, back and forth uh, very, very quickly. Um, his guard passing um, is okay, but not great. He's got some good flanking passes that he does where he passes to north-south. Um, his bottom guard is basically non-existent. Um, the one thing that he does better than most people is he can do a, a tight, he has a tight, guillotine on both left side and right side so it starts off gordon in uh in in true gordon fashion he's like man i kind of respect the call out but it's bad news for you buddy but you listen to his appraisal his analysis of of pedro as a competitor and it is not at all disrespectful no i, I and i think gordon maybe recognizes that there is some potential right it's it's it, he can't disrespect Pedro. He has to go in there cautious of what Pedro can do. And we know what Pedro can do well. He can wrestle. He's got a mean front headlock, and he's evolving. I mean, look at the, the growth he's made just from their last match in 2019 to now, where now he's out-wrestled Craig Jones for the light heavyweight strap. He beat guys like Cyborg, Wagner, uh, Adam Wardzinski, Victor Hugo for the uh, double Nogi World Champion just back in 2021. Uh, he... Pedro has evolved, and Gordon, I think, of all people, recognizes it. And he's not the only one, because we have another video here of John Danaher also analyzing Pedro Mourinho as an opponent for Gordon Ryan. Let's play this clip, and we'll hear what Mr. Danaher has to say as well. The first time I, I'd never seen Pedro Mourinho compete, the first time I saw him was at the last ADCC. I was walking out with Gordon to a match. Uh, Mateus Denise is fighting 88 kilos. And he is having a war with this Brazilian kid. And I go to, I go to Gordon, Who, who's this guy that Mateus is fighting? This guy's tough as hell. And he goes, guy's a fucking asshole. The last two years, you've got to give it to Pedro Mourinho. He improves so much. Uh, first of all, he's defensively very strong now on leg locks. He proved that recently against Craig Jones. Craig's a master of leg locks. And he's been on a streak lately, just beating a lot of very good people. He's got great physicality. He's got a great sense of, of uh, how to understand the rule set and, and, uh, and use tactics to win. Um, physically, he's a real specimen. Uh, he will go in against Gordon with a, uh, a height disadvantage. But uh, he went in with a height disadvantage to Craig, and it didn't prove to be a problem at all. He finds a way to make his body type work for him. Um, he's, uh, he's got a nasty arm and guillotine, uh, does it well on both sides. He's got a, unusual, he's got both left and right side guillotine attacks. Um, I think he's gonna be a really tough opponent. He's a very physical guy. He's got good confidence levels. I saw him recently at the World Championships. He's a lovely guy too. He's a very uh, cool guy. and. Um, uh, he's got a good fighting spirit about him. He's not afraid of anybody. He goes out and, and does his best. And he's beaten some really big names in jiu-jitsu in the last two years. I'm looking at this like it's going to be a different Pedro that Gordon fights this time. This is not going to be the guy that's going to be surprised by a heel hook like he was last time he fought Gordon. And from, from Pedro's perspective, he has the advantage that even if he just puts on like a strong performance against Gordon, he doesn't have to submit Gordon. 
He just has to imagine if he passed Gordon's guard a couple of times, like he did with Craig. Uh, imagine if he was initiating most of the standing tie-ups and outworking uh, Gordon. That would be enough for him to, to win a decision. He'd be a legend if he did that. I think that this is going to be a very tough, scrappy, physical match. No surprise to hear the similarities in their analysis of Pedro as an opponent, but very different analysis of Pedro as a person. <laughs> Gordon, <laughs> we get the report that he called Pedro an asshole, whereas Danaher says he's a nice guy. But um, interesting to hear that they've, they have obviously both studied Pedro very closely. Yeah, and I have a, a feeling that Gordon and, and John Donaher study just about every opponent they have very closely, whether it's somebody that they know they will beat or somebody that they respect as a threat. So I'm listening to that analysis. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to that description of Pedro as an opponent. I hear both Gordon and John saying very physical, shorter, stockier, great wrestling, good movement, mean guillotine, and tactically as well you know very capable a good strategist goes in there knows how to win doesn't that sound familiar doesn't that sound strikingly like Andre Galvão because if you think all those things that they've just said about Pedro Mourinho there could feasibly apply to Andre Galvão with regards to the upcoming super fight at ADCC in September and I, I just had this kind of light bulb moment going off this morning while I was listening to Gordon, listening to John break down how they perceive Pedro as an opponent, that this match will, for us at the very least, for Gordon, it'll serve as an excellent tune-up for us. It'll maybe act as something of a preview, what to expect come September when Gordon goes up against uh, Andre Galvão. Yeah, it, the the similarities are striking, actually, The the aggressive, gritty, physical style of Pedro Mourinho and the the kind of similar attacks, the, the actual techniques that he uses, right? Now, uh, Pedro is not nearly as accomplished as Andre Galvao, but he, ha he has a trajectory that's similar. And I think it's a great way to kind of stage. Uh, you can't call Pedro a tune-up match, right? He's not a tune-up match, but he is maybe a, a test run. That is a that is definitely a, a better way to describe it because you don't want to you don't want to overlook Pedro Mourinho. You don't want to just consider him a warm up for for matches to come. He is the light heavyweight champion. He won that title fair and square, and he did so in resounding fashion. And Danaher is absolutely right. This is a thirty minute match. Pedro doesn't need to submit Gordon. He can just go out there have a very strong show, and he can score some significant moves throughout that match, potentially win a division, uh, win the decision. Excuse me, Gordon, his game plan for beating Pedro Mourinho in a 30-minute match. Remember, this is not a no-time-limit match. This is not like the match against Felipe Pena in August. This match is at a 30-minute time limit. That Gordon will have to have a game plan for how to deal with an elusive, as he described, cagey, cautious opponent who is very much in and out and will look to compete on his terms, will not just blindly walk into uh, Gordon's game and go head-to-head -head technique for technique for him. He's going to try and go in and he's going to try and implement a game plan much like he did against Craig Jones. And, and that game plan, I think very similar to what we may expect from Andre Galvao, is going to be loaded with physicality, right? Whether it's cagey and maybe cautious uh, or not, uh, Pedro, just like Andre, is going to try and make Gordon work, right? So maybe they won't be engaging at every step that Gordon may have a trap laid for them, but they will be trying to lean on Gordon, tire him out, and break him that way. Yeah, I think I, I can see Pedro coming out hard. I can see him, make, like you say, making it a physical match. You know, the the, the way that he's very, he's, he's kind of heavy-handed, you know, those clubbing blows. He's so good at snatching the neck. Very reminiscent of Andre Galvao's style. I think that the similarities between the two are, are considerable. So this match is going to be interesting on so many levels. Of course, the very first, the primary thing is, of course, that who will take the heavyweight title? Can Pedro Mourinho join Tyru Tolo in becoming a two-division champ in who's number one? Will Gordon Ryan claim his first who's number one title belt? And what will that match look like? 
What kind of indication will it give us for the upcoming Superfighter ADCC in September? I'm going to find out on Thursday night, July 14th, right here on Flow Grappling. You'll be able to watch it all. All right. So with the Gordon and the Pedro match now thoroughly analyzed with the great, uh, sort of very, very interesting kind of um, insight, let's call it, from Gordon and Danaher. Let's now move on because I think there's not really much more that we can add to the analysis of that match. But it's time now to talk about some of the upcoming news that took place in the world of jiu-jitsu over the weekend. Because this one, this one was a real big breaking news story. This took place last night. So we had heard that DreamArt would be announcing a new head coach. That, that was teased uh, in the last week or so. And I spoke to the, uh, sort of the team there at DreamArt and they, were, they just gave me... <laughs> They gave me the very helpful hint. They said, yeah, he's a world champion. And I was like, damn it, that doesn't exactly narrow it down. But they said, don't worry, we'll be announcing everything in due course. Well, they dropped the news last night. And I got to say, it took me completely by surprise. Paolo Miao has been named the new head coach for DreamArt. He's going to be relocating to Sao Paulo to act as the new head coach for uh, the powerhouse jiu-jitsu team, one of the uh, the most uh, sort of the currently the, sort of the, the the most leading teams in jiu-jitsu. Let's just say it straight, Corey. Did you expect this at all? Absolutely not. Given uh, given Paolo's longtime um, re- relationship with Cicero Costa, who is who's a neighbor here, and given that he has no real affiliation with with DreamArt outside of that, this was a complete shock to me. Well. For me, the greatest shock was because I've always associated Paolo as a competitor Mm. and as one of the uh, most prolific competitors of the last decade and uh, extremely accomplished, but also as a model for that extremely dedicated, one might say borderline obsessive kind of uh, aesthetic monk-like existence. Somebody who doesn't bother with the trappings of, of the modern world too much, doesn't worry about, about nice clothes, about a big house, about you know fast cars. You know, he is a very, very simple guy in the sense that his entire focus, this point in his adult life, has been competing in jiu-jitsu, has been time spent living on the mat, literally eating, sleeping, training, you name it, living in the gym. His entire existence, the last decade or more, has been focused on training, competing, and winning. Well, this this announcement took me by surprise because Paolo is not necessarily known as a coach. He's taught, of course, he's done seminars, he's taught classes, he's taught privates, uh, but it's one thing to teach jujitsu. It's another thing to be a coach, right? Yeah, but here's one thing I, I find interesting about this is that uh, Paulo Miao was one of the maybe trendsetters in the um, dedicate your entire life to jujitsu uh, energy, right? Lifestyle, dream arts, dream art. That's what dream art is about. All of the all of the athletes living, competing, training at dream art. That's their whole life. So Paulo kind of a, a spearhead in, in that movement. Embodies everything that Dream Art is aiming to uh, to achieve with this new generation of athletes. Absolutely. And that is exact, That is a sentiment echoed by team captain Isaac Bayens, who I spoke to about this. Because, you know, uh, Isaac, is, uh, he was one of the founders of the Dream Art. And um, he's more of a player coach. Because Isaac is an active competitor, you know, took silver at the IBJJF World Championships in the last two editions, uh, is an IBJJF World Champion himself as a black belt, and uh, a very well-known competitor. But of course, his focus is still very much on his own athletic career. And while he acts as a figurehead within the team, he is not the head coach. This is why they had to contract Paolo Miao. But his, his statement to me was, well, Paolo embodies many of the qualities that they want for their athletes. And he uh, served as a model for, for what the Dream Art's trying to achieve. Taking a young, promising, up-and-coming color belt athlete from a small town somewhere in Brazil, 
giving them an opportunity to relocate to Sao Paulo, the metropolis there in Brazil, one of the largest cities in South America, and giving them a place to stay where they can literally focus 100% of their energy on living, sleeping, breathing jujitsu, living in the in the gym, training as a true professional athlete. And Paulo Miao passed through all that. He knows what it's like firsthand. This is one of the reasons why he's been brought in to act as head coach for the team. So we spoke to Paulo, and I thought it was very interesting to hear what he had to say about the team. Let's uh, bring up this graphic so you can see. Because he says that Dream Art is one of the best teams in the world, not just because of the high-level athletes or world champions at black belt or in the color belts, but because of the organization. And he believes that it is the first truly professional jiu-jitsu team. And you'd have to think that that might be uh, one of the biggest motivations for him to accept this challenge. Yeah, it, it definitely seems that way, that the prestige right, of operating as a coach in a team that really seems to have it together, right? The, the sleeping, the eating, the training, the, uh, the, the exercise, the, the supplemental training, right? Everything is together. So all Paulo has to do is come in and be the coach, right? The, the, uh, he doesn't have to build anybody from right. the ground up and teach them fundamental jujitsu. He has to basically inspire them and, and kind of use his experiences to guide right. them through the world of high performance right. jujitsu. The infrastructure is already there. The blueprint's laid out. It is. But that's not to say that it's going to be easy for him. And I think that he recognizes this as well because he understands that this is, um, a huge opportunity for him because apparently he shifted his focus in 2019. Remember, he had that uh, that knee surgery, that horrific knee injury after ADCC and had knee surgery and was out, out of action. And that apparently is the point in his career when he really uh, switched his focus to more to teaching than just training and competing. And he understands that it's a good time in his career um, to 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 take this opportunity and to see where it can go. And uh, he says that it's a huge responsibility to be leading a team with so many great high-level talents, but he thinks it's the right time for him and he's very happy to become the coach. I think this is interesting because it does mark a, a, you know, a new phase in his career because how many opportunities are there for high-level competitors when they get to a certain age? If their body isn't able to, uh, to carry them through the world of, of high-level jiu-jitsu anymore, not everybody can be Andre Galvao, 40 years of age, and still competing at the highest level. Not everybody can be Leandro Lowe into his 30s and still racking up those goals after a decade of high-level competition. Some guys are going to have to find an alternative. Right, and one thing that kind of strikes me about Paulo's move in in this particular time at, at this time is that uh, it's so close to ADCC. So he's gonna right. end up in, end up at Dreamart with a lot of work to be done right away, right? Because Dreamart is sending Izaki Bayance, uh, Giovanna Jara, and Diego Pato to ADCC. And as an ADCC veteran, he'll have plenty of uh, experience to share. So I think a very interesting move, very excited to see what, uh, what results this may lead to. But of course, there are major tournaments on the horizon. So I'm sure we'll be able to see that very soon. And congratulations to Paolo as well. I think this is, uh, this is huge. This is, uh, this is great news. I love to see athletes, uh, you know, take on these new challenges. And I, I personally, I'm just interested to see how it's going to go as well. You know? So somebody who was such a great and successful competitor, yeah, you have to think that they have that energy. They put it to something like coaching that they're not going to go in and half-ass it. Right? Yeah, somebody like Paulo Miao, he knows how to win. And if he can, if he can instill a little bit of that uh, into DreamArt, who is already a successful team that knows how to win, I think we'll just see more and more coming out of that team. Absolutely. All right, so with that now, we've uh, only got two more things to talk about in today's show. And that, the next one is the IBJJF Grand Prix. So let's talk about the GP because I'm, uh, I'm really excited for this. Now, we haven't yet really announced too many details about this IBJJF GP. Well, it's time now to kind of start laying out some specifics. August 12th, the IBJJF Flow Grappling Grand Prix goes down right here in Austin, Texas, and it is going to feature two four-person black belt brackets and a number of black belt super fights. There will be a four-man bracket, medium heavyweight, and then there will be a four-woman black belt bracket, including a number of world champions in action. Equal pay for both the men and the women, a nice five-figure cash prize for the overall winner of both of those divisions. 
And uh, the IBJJF started dropping some of the names today as well. Do you want to drop off uh, the first one that we got to uh, to call out? Yeah, can't wait. Can't wait for this whole event. Uh, but the number, the we'll start with the we'll start with the female GP, where, where the uh, first is recent world champion Bianca Basilio. Bianca Basilio, 2022 IBJJF world champion, will put the gi back on just a couple of weeks out from ADCC to compete at the IBJJF GP. She is an extremely well-known competitor, uh, very well-known for her devastating footlock, uh, for her crowd-pleasing style, her acrobatics of nature. <laughs> She's a, a fantastic competitor, always got a huge smile on her face and always goes out there to basically for the kill. I think this is one of the reasons why she's so beloved by the fans. But yeah, uh, Bianca Basilio, the first of four names. Now, what the IBJJF will be doing is they'll be releasing one male and one female name every day this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, until the two divisions are complete. And then Thursday night at the Who's Next finale, we'll be dropping the names for the super fights as well. So with Bianca Basilio confirmed as the first competitor, let's now reveal the first male competitor. Now, the male GP, as we mentioned, is going to be in the medium heavyweight division. And uh, this is a very interesting first name. It is Gabrielle Arges. Gabrielle Arges, the two-time world champion, enters the GP after, I would say, Corey, a considerable layoff. Haven't seen too much from Gabrielle over the last year or two. Yeah, the last year we saw him uh, competing regularly was in 2019 when he won his most recent world championship. Uh, since then, it's been uh, very, very, very spotty, I guess you could say, uh, as far as his competition record goes. But a huge threat nonetheless. Last time we saw him, he was winning, right? Um, and he kind of left on top. Gabriel Arges, uh, a Gracie Baja black belt uh, based in... Uh, in uh, well, he was out of Northridge with Homlo for years now and has his own academy actually now and is, uh, has branched out. And I think that's one of the things that maybe took him away from the competition scene there as he was working to establish his own gym. But, uh, you know, with years of training alongside the likes of Felipe Pena, like Homlo Bahal, his uh, his teammate and very close friend, Edwin Najmi. Gabriel is an extremely accomplished competitor, great technician. And uh, I'm excited to see him back in action in a, a high-level tournament like this. I mean, we haven't released the other names of the black belts just yet, but you have to think, if they're of that caliber, it's going to be a high-level tournament. No, there, there are some very exciting mashups waiting for him that we'll uh, we'll find out we'll be able to reveal later on this week yes stay tuned every day we'll be dropping the names for the ibjjf gp on our instagram social media and then on thursday night we'll reveal the full lineup for both of those divisions and as i said the ibjjf super fights that will take place uh on the same event going to be really cool. I'm actually I'm really excited for this. It's nice to be uh, able to see a, um, you know, the, the gi giving a little bit more love. You know, of course, after the, the World Championships, things shift gears so quickly, you know, as we go into the summer, and especially in an ADCC year, you know, basically everybody just takes the gi off, throws it away, puts it in the closet. They're all about no gi for the next couple of months. But there's still a lot of people out there who like the gi. Yeah, and there, there are athletes that tend to stay exclusive to the gi, right? And those athletes don't go away, right? They still have... Uh, have competitive energy. They, they want to compete and we have a platform to watch them do it. Yeah, can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. That goes down August 12th. You'll be able to watch it here on Flow Grappling. Don't miss that. All right. Last piece of news for today's show is the ADCC 2022 World Championships. Man, just keeps getting closer. We're about 10 weeks away. Can you believe it? That's uh, two and a half months. But that's going to go by really quick. Well, over the weekend, ADCC announced the final invite. Damon Ramos was added to the over 99 kilogram division. So that now means that all 97 places have been filled. Unbelievable that we're that close. We're so close that we know the roster, right? We know everybody who's going to be competing in all seven divisions. Uh, it, it feels real. It does ADCC feel real. ADCC is real. However... <laughs> the division is probably going to change uh, a lot between now and then because we already had one pull out very recently. Gutenberg Pereira had to withdraw, citing a uh, back injury. He was replaced by his teammate uh, Max Jimenez in the over 99 kilogram division. Uh, he was the first competitor and, and a trials winner as well to withdraw 
from the tournament and uh, to be replaced by somebody else because we hadn't even completed the uh, all of the invites in that division before the first switch was made but um, it's unlikely to be the last because as we've seen in ADCC in the past I mean Literally, you can have guys on standby because people can get sick or get injured. Sometimes the just 24 hours out from the event, right? right. But this is the, the beauty of having such a publicly viewable trials process, right? That all of the trials are streamed on Flow this year, right? Which means that most of the fandom knows exactly who deserves to be in next, right? I mean, everybody has their arguments, but you can kind of see, okay, this person was this successful at this number of trials and you can make an argument and the athletes can make an argument for why they deserve the replacement spot should one open up. Yeah, uh, I got to say that the, the transparency of the ADCC selection process is, uh, is, is, is great. But of course, that is combined with their uh, discretionary invites. You know, if they feel that somebody just deserves to be there or, you know, stood out enough via their performances at, at various events, they've got no problem in saying, you know what, I'm going to call those guys up. Come on. Join the party. Let's uh, show us what you got. And I, I love that. I love that about ADCC, that they've got the open qualification process. And for a lot of guys who who feel entitled to an invite, well, the ADCC will often say, yeah, screw you, go win trials. But I love the fact that they will recognize people's hard work and they, they like those kind of athletes who are out there just doing their thing and, and, and perform well. And those guys, the ones who are less vocal about asking for a, a call up, they, they, they get it, they get the invite, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's that, that classic right, idiom, actions speak louder than words. Well, you have the actions here, right? You can go out, win, win impressively. That's what ADCC likes to see. That's what we all like to see. And that's what ADCC is about. Let the jujitsu do the talking. That's right. So about ADCC, we're going to do a, 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 a little thing now here on today's show. And uh, we're going to try and do this every episode for the Grappling Bulletin between now and September. And uh, we're going to call this ADCC Spotlight. So wh what's the kind of the principle behind the ADCC Spotlight section, Corey? There are 97 athletes competing at ADCC. Um, not all of them have, have been have seen, I guess, equal spotlight, right? Uh, and some of them, whether they're trials winners or invitees or ADCC champions, they, they deserve a little bit of attention. They are going to the biggest stage in uh, in submission wrestling. And uh, yeah, we're gonna take a look at you know how they got here, what they're what they're doing, uh, and and what's at stake for them. Yeah, the first guy that we're going to feature uh, for the, uh, the the spotlight is the returning 77-kilogram champion JT Torres. Two-time ADCC champion in the 77-kilo division. JT Torres, man, this guy, this guy is the king of the 77 kilos, right? Yeah, and he's, he's really uh, one of the most experienced ADCC competitors out there right now, given how many, not just titles he's won, but how many ADCCs uh, he's competed in and he continues to remain absolutely dominant. Yeah, so why don't you give us uh, some details about JT then? Because uh, a, lot of, a lot of grappling fans, especially those new to the sport, the ones who have joined us in the last couple of years, they may not be too familiar with JT as a competitor because his last grappling performance was a very small tournament in Colorado. And that was just a couple of matches in an IBJGF that you can find on YouTube if you know where to look. But he basically has been off the scene since 2019, correct? Yeah, he's, he's, except for that, that IBJJF Open, his last competition was when he won his second ADCC title in 2019 uh, over Wagner Rocha. Wow. So break it down for us then. What has JT done in ADCC? Why is he stand out? Why does he stand out? Why is he worthy of the spotlight? Won it in 2017. And in something that is almost never done, he came back and won the second year. In those two years, in the eight matches he had in 2017 and 2018, he did not concede a single point. Uh, and... JT Torres, just if you watch his style, he is born and bred for ADCC. Right? Let's let's play this video uh, if you can, please, producer Nico, while we're talking because we have some training uh, room footage of this, uh, and we can play this without audio for the training one. But we've got the uh, we've got the, the the JT Torres training at his gym in Essential Jiu Jitsu. This is uh, this is in New York, right? It is in Westchester, New York. JT Westchester, best Chester. <laughs> there you have it. Yeah, and JT his. Uh, 
uh, his game, well, many say that it is just, it is absolutely perfect for ADCC. Would you, would you say that? Absolutely. And it's because of this. It's because of his pressure both on the feet and on the mat. He is a phenomenal wrestler, incredibly strong. But when he gets on top, that's where he thrives. Uh, we all know ADCC rules tend to favor the top player. And, and this is why. Because when JT gets on top, his pressure is second to none. He will patiently dismantle his opponents and work his way into a dominant position he is never never nice about it right it's it he, he has an, a unique way a distinct way of making his opponents feel incredibly uncomfortable and he carries that to victory yeah and i think that it is really important to point out that jt torres is one of the best wrestlers in adcc and i'm not just talking about currently i'm talking about of the last 10 years that the few people have been able to take jt down he's um he's got a, a very conservative style of wrestling that is um is is very very gritty you know he he has got an excellent work rate he goes out there but he utilizes wrestling attacks that are uh best for adcc rules and if you ever listen to one of the adcc live chats on instagram you'll hear mo jasim talking about how a lot of people will go out and waste energy while wrestling you know they'll pick a guy up and huck him around with sort of suplex style attacks and not score because you need to take somebody down and control them on the ground to score under ADCC rules. And JT utilizes, uh, he loves the arm drag to the inside trip, the Kochigari style. He's got great blast doubles. And uh, he's got great, you know, sort of like, he doesn't use duck unders as such, but he shoots for the legs and then kind of turns around, turns the corner and gets to the back. And he's really, really good at scoring with his wrestling techniques and then riding his opponents and then putting on that pressure from top. So it's kind of like the model game of what really, really works. Effective wrestling under ADCC rules, right? Yeah, and in my mind, there are two JT Torres moments that stand out to me as just the iconic, right? The the definition of what makes JT so good. It's the takedown on DJ Jackson from oh, I think yeah. it was 2019. Yep. And the similar but different takedown on Lucas Lepre in the final uh, in the final couple of minutes of the final of 2017. Yeah, really both phenomenal matches. We have both of those matches actually on Flow Grappling. In fact, we have both of JT's gold medal runs. We have all four matches from 2017 and all four matches from 2019 uh, on the site. And you can go back and look at those in the ADCC archives because they, uh, they are case studies, really, I would say, in effective wrestling for ADCC. And, uh, and JT, he deserves that shine because he's kind of a... Um, it's kind of an elusive character, you know? He kind of like, he'll he'll come out, he'll just blitz everybody at ADCC, and then he'll disappear, and he'll go back to the gym and just go hang out with his friends and his family and play video games, and then come back two years later and kill everybody again. Well, of course, the big question is whether JT is going to do the three-peat, you know, the, the three ADCC gold medals in a row. He is potentially the only American to do that. If he wins gold in September, he could become the first American male to win gold medal in the same weight category in three consecutive years. That would be one for the history books. Absolutely. Uh, and it's only he and Gordon Ryan who really stand to 3 P in any weight categories at all. Yeah. Well, of course, Gordon won, can't, won, weight, uh, won gold medal in different weight categories. You know, 2017, 88, 2019, double gold, under 99, and the absolute. He's competing in the over 99 kilogram uh, category this year, and then the super fight as well. So, you know, JT, just like we said, dominating that 77 kilogram division. But, man, he's going to be up against it because, as we've said, the, over, the, the 77 kilo division at ADCC this year is more stacked than ever yeah and jt actually had some commentary about that uh, yeah we, we he talked about that in uh, an interview we shot with him we have that uh, queued up so let's hear from jt winning back-to-back adcc titles is super difficult you know one of the main reasons is that two-year gap right that two-year gap you know you got people gunning for you you gotta you gotta stay motivated right it's easy for people to win once and be like all right i did it i'll take the gap i took my foot off the gas pedal and just chill out um but I did the opposite, right? Like I won that first world title back in 2017, and I knew that the next one around was going to be tougher. People were going to be gunning for me. They're going to be trying to take that number one spot. So I just kept kept working at my craft. I kept getting better. Kept improving, you know, on the things I needed to improve on. You know, every time you compete, you walk away with a lot of great things, but also it goes to show you what you need to work on to improve. So I make sure to focus on those things, and. Um, you know, to win it back to back was a was a great feeling. I think I was the first uh, first American to even win 
I think won even a 77 kilo title, I think. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that, but I may be. But he went it back to back. Um, so getting ready for this third one, nothing's really changed, to be honest with you. I still have that same mindset. I still have that same approach. Every year, people have told me, man, this, this bracket's crazy. It's tough. This division's tough. Every, every year, every two years, it's tough and tougher and tougher. But um, that's one of the reasons that I'm motivated. That's one of the reasons why you see me push myself through what you guys saw me go through today. Two and a half hours of just, just a tough push, right? Why would I do that? I do it because I'm motivated. I want to win. And because the competition in that bracket is what motivates me to get up every day and push myself to that level. Love it. Love it. I love that JT is really, he, he recognizes the challenge ahead of him and he's, he's excited by it. Yeah. And I, I can't imagine how hard he must be training knowing that that division is filled with, I mean, 15 other incredibly gifted individuals. Yeah, I, I would say, man, it just it, it's gotten harder. That's the thing. You know, he, he won it in 2017. Uh, it was a very tough run. He fought, had great matches with Lachlan Giles, Lucas Lepre, with <laughs> with Gary Tonon. He came back in, uh, in in 2019. Again, incredible matches there. Uh, Wagner Hocher in the final was uh, just classic JT. And uh, yeah, it just keeps getting tougher. It really does. So love to see it. Very excited to see JT back in action, and he really deserves the spotlight of, uh, of today's episode. So, yeah. Well, thanks a lot for joining us in the uh, comments as well, all the viewers. I'm just looking at here, and, um, you know, we've got uh, a ton of conversation in the live chat, and uh, I love you guys talking about... Um, talking about everything when it comes to jujitsu and, and, and get involved in just getting getting involved in the conversation there's uh, there's so much cool stuff happening at the moment and and we're really happy to be able to showcase it here on flow wrapping for you as well so don't forget who's next finale goes down on thursday july 14th we've got the uh the the next who's number one will be on august 7th gordon ryan versus uh Flippy Penner, August 12th is the IBJJF GP and many, many more events. Just go to flowgrappling.com, hit the schedule tab, and you'll be able to take a look at all the upcoming events. Pretty much every weekend, we've got something or other on our channel. Well, I think that's about it for today's show, huh? Sounds good. All right. You guys take it easy. We'll see you next week. There's nothing personal, but when we shake hands, it's all business. Like all the blood, sweat, tears, all the training. You're just getting some of your hard work and seeing the results. Now, I started 3 0, I want to get that 4 0. He's the kind of guy that just always stays ready. He's always putting in work, and especially when he has something to look forward to, like this kind of match, like a big match like that's going to get him pumped up even more. I feel that Kyle's one of the best leg lockers in the world, and I feel he has a really complex guard. There's not a lot of guys that have, you know, his body type with, you know, big legs that are flexible like that. And I feel like his finishing power and his finishing mechanics are incredible. He's a finisher. When he gets a hold of something, he's one of the few guys that can really break it or really push one out. So I think a lot of people don't realize that his finishing power is different from a lot of others that consider themselves submission only. He's really a submission only guy because he loves to finish. From the red team, Kyle Chambers. You can just expect, I like to wear my heart on my sleeve, obviously, you know, I'm gonna put it all out there because I know that's what it takes to become a champion. From the blue team, Isaac Michelle. Oh man, I think it'll be an awesome match. He's got, a, you know, good cardio, he could go forever, but I think I'll be able to take his back and finish him from that position. I like the confidence, you know, we see a lot of people on the show have that same kind of confidence, you know, we have Cool Rack have the same kind of confidence and a bunch of stuff before, you know. A lot of people sit there and get to my back and finish me, and you see a lot of people get there and they don't have that same ability. It's no threat to me because it's what I do. I feel comfortable in those positions. It's just another day. It's a perfect matchup for Kyle because he wants to take out people that have a good name, that have a lot of respect out there, and that have good accomplishments. And, you know, Isaac, he has all that. Well, he has a lot of good energy behind his name. So does Kyle. So I think this is going to be a great clash of the up-and-coming, high-level, talented grapplers of today. But just to feel the pressure is, is good. I love the pressure. I like thriving in the pressure. I feel like, you know, diamonds are forged in pressure, you know, and that's how I feel like I am, you know. So I love feeling that pressure of the final. Like all or nothing is like gambling, you know, and I feel like that's what is up. You know, I got to show up and I always show up. So I'm just excited for the opportunity. I'm ready to capitalize. I say, I just want to have a great battle, man. I just already know that you're one of the best in the world. I'm one of the best in the world. And I just put on a show for the people, nothing less but the best.